time we looked at John chapter 5 and looking at this uh, particular account of uh, this man who was healed at the pool of Bethesda. And you know when you read through the scriptures and you read through, like we are, the gospel of John, um, you kind of tend to come to things that are topics rather than expounding the, the particular context that you're in. And we've looked through this already, but the, the, these verses we read really kind of resonated with me as I read them. And the fact of the matter is that in church we can, we can kind of grow up with preconceived ideas. When I was uh, in my early years, this is an example really, it's only an example of that, but in my early years as a Christian, it was this issue of the pre-tribulation rapture that kind of was presupposed for me. And I'm not here this morning to talk about end times or eschatology. But the point I'm making is that it was something that was just, it was, that was it. There was no other view presented. It was just something that, you, that was, you accepted it, you were taught it, but there was nothing else. So you kind of grew up with this idea that this was just it, you know, that's that's... It's a dead given kind of thing. And, but sometimes that's, that's what happens. Uh, and it, it was only much later that I began to learn that actually, you know, there was different viewpoints. Uh, and, and each viewpoint had their way of explaining it from the scriptures. So that's just an example that I was never taught anything else. So all that I knew was all, it was just something that was just presupposed, you know, something that was definite, a definite article, if you like. And, I, and this is why I want to kind of deal with this today, because I think that we have preconceived ideas about this also, which is why I titled this, uh, this message, Sabbath Day Clarity. Because I think clarity is needed on these things, and sometimes we can take these teachings or these ideas and just assume that we know what it means, because it's what we've always known. Not everything we've always known is always right. You know, I was involved with many things as a youngster in my Christian faith that I thought were right. And what I always knew, what I was always taught, what I grew up with. And therefore, you just tend to think, well, this, this, is, this is it. You know, but if I just delve in, my, in the Word a bit more, I'd realise, actually, there's a bit more to it than that. You know, so basically, this is where we're going this morning. And forgive me if I'm a little longer than usual, but this is important. I want to read you from Exodus 20, verse 8. This is the Ten Commandments, but particularly regarding the Sabbath day. Exodus 20, verse 8 says then, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the, seventh, the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Exodus 20 verse 8, which is part of the Ten Commandments. And I want to begin this morning perhaps in a place that you might think would be at the latter end. But I want to begin with Jesus. The Pharisees and the majority of the Jewish people accused Jesus of being a blasphemer. One of the reasons for this was how he acted, at least in their eyes, and their misunderstanding of the law. They were oftentimes furious with him because on many occasions he healed the sick, raised the dead, did many good works on the Sabbath day. Almost, in some senses, when you read them, like he did it purposely. He did these things on the Sabbath day, which angered the Pharisees and many of the Jews. As we see in this text, the Sabbath day was the seventh day of the week. And it was to be a day of rest, a day set apart from all manual labours, not only for the people, but their servants, and even the working animals, so the cattle that would, would tread the corn or go out working in the fields or whatever. 
God worked in creation for six days and he rested on the seventh. Now we need to realise that this does not, of course, mean that God became tired or that he became weary after doing this work. But it just means that he had accomplished all that he desired and therefore he ceased to work in the way that he had the previous six days. Six literal days, we're taught. So it wasn't because he was, you know, he needed to put his feet up and he was shattered from his work. It wasn't that. The commandment then was for the people to set apart this day in which to cease from business. That was part of the reason. From all kinds of work and to keep it as a particular day spent in his service. A day of worship, a day of remembrance, and of thanksgiving to God. <clears throat> but these Pharisees and these Jews in which we mention, they were the kind of people that thought that their righteousness was to be found in strict adherence to the law. If they could then please God, well, they thought that if they could keep the law, basically, that it had been laid down by God, which of course we know was never able to be kept. It wasn't even given in that sense to be kept. Because God always knew that men couldn't keep it. But these men thought that if they could just keep the law, that they would please God. They, they got it the wrong way. And so their strict adherence to the law, they thought they could please God. They thought that they could be found worthy of eternal life. The law, however, as we read in Romans 3.20, as Paul says, it says, by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law was given so that sin might be made alive, in that sense, to our own senses, our own understanding. Paul said, didn't he, if it weren't for the law, I wouldn't even realise that I was living in covetousness. The law brings out sin. It shows us that we're sinners. The law is, it serves to shine a light upon man's sin. And rather than to justify anybody, it magnifies guilt and the inability to do anything to please God and heal the rift that is between God and man. That's what it shows. That shows our absolute inability because we can't keep the law. And if you've broken one commandment, you've broken them all. This truth the Pharisees and the Jews were largely blind to. They thought they could please God themselves by keeping it. So when Jesus came healing the sick, and instructing the lame to pick up their mats and walk home, or delivering the demonized from their chains, or allowing his disciples even to pick and eat grain on the Sabbath. He was pointed at by them as a lawbreaker. He pointed the finger at him, the Lord Jesus Christ, and called him a blasphemer and a lawbreaker. Question for us then is, did Jesus break the Sabbath? Did he sin? Well, we know, don't we, that the Lord Jesus Christ never sinned. Not once. That he was tempted as all men and yet without sin. He wasn't a sinner. So the conclusion we must have at the outset is, of course, not. Absolutely not. Jesus did not break the Sabbath. Now, he says, Jesus says in uh, where am I? Mark 2, 27-28, said this, the Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Does it not make you think that Jesus Christ, if you look at him, he is the one that created the worlds. He is the one that upholds everything around us, the stars, the sun, the moon, the sky, our lives, our heartbeat, he upholds and keeps everything running as it is. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. Is he then not the one who can say what happens on that Sabbath? So the Sabbath, friends, was made for the good of man. It was made for our good. For the good of his soul. For the good of his body. So that we could have a rest and an opportunity both for public and private worship and devotions. We were 
given the rest from labour. If then the Sabbath was for man's good, all that Jesus did in his compassionate acts and his care for people in healings, in feedings, in deliverance, etc., etc., well, surely they are in keeping with the Sabbath because it's for man's good. So if he did good for man on the Sabbath, then he wasn't breaking the law. The righteous of the day had made it a self-righteous rule to be kept at all costs. And that even meant refusing to help those in desperate need. All in order to keep up their pious image. So they thought that that was the way, that God was pleased with them because they were not doing things on the Sabbath. And yet Jesus in his love and his compassion and his care for man healed and fed people who were hungry, raised those from the dead, delivered from demons, those who were locked and chained up. Of course he said to them, didn't he, if, if a donkey fell into a pit on the Sabbath, would you not help your donkey? I mean, if you're going to help a donkey, how much more a man? They got it twisted all the way around. They just thought that they were pleasing God and yet leaving people to suffer all because of a particular day. Now, an interesting point to note is that the time from Adam to Moses is around 2,500 years from Adam to Moses. 2,500 years roughly. So God had rested on that seventh day of his creative work. And yet, from Adam to Moses, there is no command to observe a Sabbath day. None of the patriarchs, not, jo not Jacob, not Joseph, not any of his brothers, not any that came from them. They, none of them observed a Sabbath day for all that time. So God rested. Two and a half thousand years went by. There wasn't any command there in that time to observe the Sabbath day. It was only when Israel were rescued out of the bondage of Egypt. And they were made a nation, which basically was a theocracy, which means that God was at the head. The government was by divine guidance. God was their king, if you like. He was their government. He was their head. That's what a theocracy is. So Israel, sorry, not Egypt, was made a theocracy. They were made a nation by God. It was only then did the Sabbath day become a command. This law was laid out in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, as we read earlier, verse 8, for this particular one. But actually the first command to observe this day is found in Exodus 16. And you can look at that in verses 22 to 30. But I'll just allude to it. This is where Moses tells the people... To go out and collect double manna on the day before the Holy Sabbath. That's what he calls it. So he tells them to go out and collect manna before that day. Because they wouldn't be able to go out and find any on the Sabbath. There wouldn't be any found there then. Goes on to say that whatever needed baking. Whatever needed boiling or preparing. Was to be prepared the day before. The Sabbath, or Shabbat, begins at nightfall on Friday, and it runs through to nightfall on Saturday. Therefore, Saturday is the Sabbath day. The seventh day. We take Sunday as the first day. Saturday is the Sabbath, seventh day. And then God lays out the command, and listen to it, the compulsory adherence to it in Exodus 31 verses 12 through 17 the Lord spoke to Moses saying speak also to the children of Israel saying surely my Sabbaths you shall keep for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you you shall keep the Sabbath therefore for it is holy to you Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among the people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. 
Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. God laid down this strict rule, these strict rules really, when we look at the law. That he laid down all of these rules for the Sabbath. Breaking this command was punishable by death. An example of this is found in Numbers 15, verses 32 to 36. Now while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him under guard because it had not been explained what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man must surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So as the Lord commanded Moses, all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him with stones, and he died. We're gathering six. And then again in Exodus 35, verses 1, the Lord says that even kindling a fire on the Sabbath day was punishable by death. This is how serious God took this command. Adam and Eve were warned that the penalty for their disobedience would be death. Which, after eating the fruit from the tree, which they were forbidden to do, happened. They, they, they died spiritually and eventually, after many years, physically. From dust you were made and from dust you shall, to dust you shall return. It happened. And in choosing to make Israel his people, to make them a nation, God gave laws which were to be observed absolutely and to show the gravity of disobedience to God, to the God that brought them out of Egypt when they were slaves. The punishment was severe. God had promised the Israelites that if they obeyed his commandments, then abundant blessings would be theirs. If you do this, you will be blessed. The covenant of works, if you do this, just like Adam, do this and live. Don't do this and die. So they were promised blessings, abundant blessings, if they obeyed the commands of the Lord. <coughs> However, if they didn't obey the voice of the Lord and his commandments, many curses would come upon them. And if you want to have a look at that in more detail, go to Deuteronomy chapter 28. And that's where, I mean, there's other places, but it really does kind of iron those things out quite, in a, quite a long context. So the question for us is this, this burning question. What does this mean for Christians? What does it mean for you and me? Well, allow me to just refer you back to Exodus 31. Looking particularly at verses 15 through 17. Remember what I said at the beginning about preconceived ideas. And that we actually need to go into the Bible and to look about what it says, rather than just accept something that we've always known. So verse 15 of chapter 31 of Exodus. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. Do you see the clarity in them verses for us? It says this. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath. It says it clearly. This is given, pointed to the children of Israel. Of Israel. And it says throughout their generations. And then he says it is a sign. What's a sign? 
A sign is something that points you somewhere else. If you go driving down the road and you see a sign that says um, Doncaster, seven miles, that means you're not done Doncaster right where you are. It's a sign to say in seven miles you're going to get there. A sign is something that points towards something else. And God says here, it is a sign to who? Between me and the children of Israel forever. That's what he says. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. A sign points to something. It was a sign between God and the Israelites, not the Egyptians. God didn't say to the Egyptians, it's a sign between me and you. He didn't say it to the Assyrians or the Canaanites. But then we might say, but isn't it not one of the Ten Commandments? These commandments apply to all believers. Absolutely. Does this mean that this commandment is not still binding? It would be wrong to even suggest that any of the Ten Commandments are no longer binding upon us. What then are we to say about the command to keep the Sabbath day holy? Well, Scripture tells us that no one is righteous. Not one. By nature, we are at enmity with God. We cannot please Him. We have no desire to do so of our own volition. Without Christ, we can do nothing. When the Lord Jesus Christ makes us new creatures, He regenerates our hearts. He draws us to Himself. He justifies us by His shed blood on the cross. Our desires change. And the Ten Commandments, rather than continue to be some dreary rules that are etched on pieces of stone, become holy unctions engraved upon our hearts. Jesus said in Matthew 5.17 that he didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfil it. And the law, as we're told in Scripture, is fulfilled in Christ. So does this mean then that we can just disregard living by these commandments? Does it mean that if the law is fulfilled in Christ that I am free to make graven images? Does it mean that I'm free to, to steal or commit adultery because I'm no longer under the law? Is that, is that what it's saying? May it never be, Paul said. How can we who have died to sin live in it any longer? If I am free from being under the bondage of the law through Christ Jesus, I don't want to then go and start breaking the law. It's not about suddenly you're free to go and do all the law said don't do. It's about the fact that my heart's changed. And rather than to be a set of rules there on stone, it's written in my heart and I, I want to live by them. I desire it. We love it. We want to live by these principles. So, how do we keep the Sabbath day today? I believe that this is a spiritual issue. There are other Old Testament laws which are shown in the New Testament that have spiritual meanings. This is really interesting. One example is found in Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. Deuteronomy 25, verse 4 God commands this, he says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the corn or the grain. This is a command of God in the Old Testament. You shall not do this. He's speaking, of course, again to the children of Israel, but he says, You shall not muzzle an ox as it treads out the grain. Now, how many of you here own an ox which treads out grain? Hands? No? Not even the farmer amongst us? Well, whilst this statement had a clear physical application in its Old Testament setting, let's look at two New Testament scriptures which explain what is meant by this now. So 1 Corinthians 9, verse 9 through 12. 1 Corinthians 9, 9 through 12. 
For it is written in the law of Moses, this is Paul speaking, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen that God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who ploughs should plough in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be the partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? And secondly, 1 Timothy 5.18. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the labourer is worthy of his wages. So you see here we have this Old Testament principle, this Old Testament command, which was a command for the Israelites, which they were to do physically, don't stop your ox eating from that which he is treading. Basically, let him live. Let him eat what he is working for. And so Paul takes this and he explains that, yes, this was something for the Israelites, a physical command, but he says that it's written in the law of Moses. Who was it written for? What is it really that God's concerned about? Is it the ox? Not really. What he's concerned about is that the labour is worthy of his wages. That those who live by the gospel, uh, sorry, those who, who preach the gospel, those who, uh, in, in the ministry as it were, should live by it. A labourer is worthy of his wages. He's saying, look, are we not uh, do this from you? We're labouring amongst you. Are we not due then as we feed you spiritually to be fed and given that which is material? That's what he's saying. We should be supported by the church. He goes on in other places to do that. But what I'm trying to emphasise here is this is an Old Testament law that is given its real spiritual meaning in the New Testament. He's not really concerned about the ox. So how do we keep it? How do we keep the New Testament in the New Testament, the Sabbath day? Well, in Romans 6.14, Paul states that believers are no longer under the law, but under grace. And then I want to take you to a scripture which gives even greater clarity. Colossians 2, verse 11 through 17. Colossians chapter 2, 11 through 17. He says this, 11, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you are also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now listen to this, verse 14. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. What's he talking about when he's talking about the handwriting of requirements? He's talking about the law. He has wiped out the handwriting of requirements against us, which were contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, and he has nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Now listen to this, verse 16. So, because of this, therefore, because of what I've just said, because he has wiped away the handwriting of requirements that were against us, because he has taken the law out of the way, because he has nailed it to the cross, let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival, or a new moon, 
or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance is of Christ, and that's where it lies. These things are a shadow of things to come. He mentions it. You know, in the law, there were certain dietary requirements, certain dietary laws. Don't eat this, that's unclean. You can eat that, don't eat that. Because they were laws. They were given to observe and celebrate quite a few different festivals or feast days. How many of us follow that? Anybody here follow a new moon? And then he says, Sabbaths. Plural. But he mentions plural in the Old Testament as well. But he says that all these things are a shadow. Looking forward to that which is to come. What do you say? It's a sign. It's pointing to something else. And he says here what it is. The substance is Christ. All of these things are fulfilled in Christ. He is the substance of all of those shadows. And I want you to know this. Make a note of this. In Colossians 2 is the only reference to the Sabbath in all of the New Testament epistles. It's mentioned in Acts, but of course that is when the church was being formed and those people went often to the Sabbath to preach the gospel, the truth. But in the epistles, it's mentioned once, and that's only in Colossians, where he's talking about not being judged about them. Nowhere else is it mentioned, not even in Paul's pastoral letters to Timothy and Titus, in which he labours regarding governing roles in the church and how the church is to operate. Nowhere, even in them, are believers commanded to observe a Sabbath day. It's nowhere to be found, isn't it? Because Christ is the substance of these shadows. Circumcision was a law. We read about circumcision. Circumcision was a law for Jewish males. And yet here we see the spiritual meaning. It was a shadow of the greater reality. Circumcision not made by hands, but of the heart by Christ. Again, that is what circumcision was foreshadowing. It was a shadow of that which to come, which is fulfilled in Christ. We don't, males, we're not in the church, we're not circumcised anymore, are we? Unless it's for health reasons, which can be done. But for, for a reason to, to fulfill a law, because God has told us to do it. Do we, do we, are we circumcised? Do we follow the new moons? Do we follow the feasts, the festivals? And it says here, the same for Sabbaths. He has wiped away, Christ has wiped away the handwriting and requirements against us, nailing the law and the bondage to it, to the cross. <coughs> Scripture tells us that Christ himself is our peace. He is our peace, isn't he? The Lord Jesus Christ is our Sabbath. And in order to keep this commandment, in order to keep the Sabbath, which we are commanded to do, in order to keep it, it's all about him. It's all about putting our trust, our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and the fact that he is our peace. He said, didn't he? Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Come to me. Why is he saying this? Come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden. Who is he speaking to? Those people who are constantly putting themselves under the law. They're weary. They're heavy laden because with their own works, they're constantly trying to obey the law. Constantly trying to please God. Constantly trying to live in righteousness. So that they might just get that eternal life. But he says, come to me you who are weary and are heavy laden. And I, I will give you rest. That's what the Sabbath is all about, isn't it? Rest. The Sabbath, rest. Take my yoke upon you. Listen, learn from me. 
for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for yourself. His yoke is easy. Trying to obey and fulfill and live by the law is hard. In fact, it's impossible. That's why he says, my yoke, my yoke is easy. Take my yoke upon you. I will give you rest. The Lord Jesus Christ is the rest. The law is a heavy burden. And it's full of compulsory rules and regulations. Christ brings freedom and liberty. The Sabbath day, like circumcision, was a shadow of the fulfilment in Christ to come. As Colossians 2.17 says, Christ is the substance, not the shadow. He's the whole thing. It's all in him. Paul says, let no one judge you in food or drink. All foods are clean. Are we not free to partake of any food we please? Absolutely. Does anybody condemn you for having a steak that is medium rare? Well, some people may, but you're not to be condemned by it. All foods are clean. Are you, uh, at the same time, we're free to eat it? At the same time, we're free to abstain from any food we please. We are not under the law. We do not need to partake in the Jewish feasts, festivals, or new moons. We are not under the law. And in the same context, here, we are not under the law of the compulsory keeping of the Sabbath day. Again, Jesus Christ is our rest. Now, it's important here to note that Paul gives us quite a warning regarding Christian liberty. In Romans 14, verses 1 through 6, Paul says this, verse 14, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but do not, sorry, but not to dispute over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak only eats vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. <coughs> Verse 5. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day, to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord, he does not eat, and gives God thanks. We said, spoke about this at Christmas, how there are so many people that come out of the woodwork that start to have a go at Christians for celebrating Christmas. It's pagan, you shouldn't be doing any of that. What's it say here? Don't observe it. That's your conviction, don't observe it. But don't condemn them that do. Because there's nothing, there's no command in Scripture not to observe Christmas. So if you observe it, be convinced in your own heart. And if you are, observe it and observe it to the Lord. If you're not, and you don't want to, and you feel it's wrong, don't observe it. But do it unto the Lord. But don't condemn them that do. And them that do, don't condemn them that don't. That's what he's saying. Observe the day. If, then, you are convinced in your heart and mind that you should observe and keep the Sabbath day, then do so, as unto the Lord. No one in his own liberty is to judge you for it. If you want to keep it, keep it. But do it unto the Lord. But in the same way, those who choose not to observe it who are also convinced in their own heart and mind, are not to be judged or frowned upon by those who do observe it. They choose not to observe it as unto the Lord. And then we have another warning, or several warnings. If you choose to observe the Sabbath day, 
then you must note what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3 verse 1 through 5. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Which was it? Were you given the Holy Spirit because of your ample work unto God? Or was it by faith? That's the question he's asking. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Even today, let me say this to you as we started off in this, in this message. The Pharisees were constantly picking up about Jesus doing things on the Sabbath and his disciples. And I'm telling you this even now. This kind of attitude is still prevalent. Someone keeps a side eye. Well, they're doing that. They're doing that on, on a Sunday. They're doing that. Shouldn't really be doing that. Got this attitude going on in our minds. Judging people for what they do and what they don't do. But he says, did you receive the Spirit of God by your works? Or did, it, did you receive it by faith? Of course, the answer is by faith. Again, verses 10 through 14, Galatians 3. For as many are, as are the works of the law, listen to this, this is vitally important. For as many, talking about you, whoever, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law and in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith. But the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the law and to do them. And the man who does them shall live by them. That's what Paul's warning in the Galatians. What were they doing? They were going back into the law, going back to circumcision. They were being taught that in order to be a real Christian, you still needed to be circumcised and live under the law. And Paul was saying, oh, you foolish Galatians, who is bewitching you to lead you back into the law? If you're going to live by the law, you need to live by it all. What are you doing? Galatians 3, 19-25. What purpose, then, does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions. Listen. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. The law was added to bring out your sin till the point came that the seed... Who's the seed? The Lord Jesus Christ. The law was there until the seed comes to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator... Now, a mediator does not mediate for only one, but God is one. Is the law, then, against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which would give life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But Scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But, again listen to this, that before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. Kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. In some translations it says schoolmaster. The law was our tutor to bring us 
to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Faith has come. You're no longer, longer under the schoolmaster, which is the law that reveals transgression. You're no longer under that. That's what Paul is saying here. Because the seed has come. <coughs> if you want to keep the Sabbath, it's not something that is taken lightly. It's not a pick and mix station where you can choose what to observe or what not to observe. A Sabbath keeper, as Paul says in verse 10 above, is cursed if they do not continue in all the things that is written in the book of the law. What he's saying is that if you desire to keep the Sabbath day, you need to keep it all. Don't just say, well, I like the Sabbath, so I won't do that, I'm okay doing that. Paul says, if you're going to live by this, Galatians, you're going to have to live by the whole thing. If you go back to this, you've got to live by it all. So, make note that the Sabbath day is from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. If you're going to keep the law, you're going to keep the Sabbath, you need to start there. Friday evening, right through till Saturday night. And I want you to note these things also. During this time, according to scripture and Jewish law, that no work is to be done by you or anyone else in your house. Yeah? If you want to be a Sabbath keeper, that's what it means. No work is to be done by you or anyone else in your house. You cannot bake, you cannot cook, you cannot boil. From Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. You're not to go out of your own place or walk more than a Sabbath day's journey, which is the equivalent of three quarters of a mile. Any further than that, you break the Sabbath. You can't light a fire. You can't watch TV. You can't flush the toilet. You, can't, you, can, you can only wash half of your body, and only then, as long as you've already heated the water before Sabbath started. You can't receive or make phone calls. You can't go swimming. You can't take medicine for minor ailments. You can take it for major ones, but if you have a cold or a cough, you can't take any medicine. Why? Because it's work. You can't listen to music or play any musical instruments. You can't turn on lights or any other form of electronics. You can't, you can't use or open the refrigerator unless the bulb has been disconnected before the Sabbath day. You can make coffee, but you've got to use the pour-over method. Because if you stir with a spoon, you're doing something that's forbidden on the Sabbath day. Now, of course you're not going to find TV in the Bible. So these are interpretations of the Sabbath day by the Jews. But this is a list, even now, that those who observe the Sabbath, when you go to Jerusalem... And you see them shutting everything down on a Friday evening, right through to Saturday. These are the kind of things that these Jews will still observe. If we're going to observe the Sabbath day, then we've got to do that. It's either all or nothing. Come on, friends. Christ has freed us from this. Many, as I've said, these are all interpretations. But if you go back to trusting and keeping the law, then you're bound to keeping it all. I hope then, through this, that you can see the scripture tells us that if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Just one more note before we pray. It's important in listening to this message that you be here next week because we're going to go on to look at the Lord's Day. Yeah? Because what we've looked into today is not complete until we consider this. So if you can be here next week, we're going to go on to the Lord's Day. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word and how clear it is. Lord, we ask you to forgive us and 
how we may have just taken preconceived ideas that we've just maybe learned from someone else or the church we were at that we've taken it upon ourselves just to believe what we were taught, what we were told, and yet, Lord, we are told in Scripture that we must let the Word of God dwell in us richly. We must know the Word for ourselves. We must study and be eager and do our utmost to become workmen in the Word, rightly dividing it so that we know the truth, Lord God. And here we've seen that even today, when we are so quick to say, oh, we're free from the Lord, the Lord Jesus has freed us, we're no longer under the law. We don't have to uh, not eat this food or drink that thing. We're not forbidden to, to eat those things that may have been unclean. And yet we, we have lived, have possibly, in this, in this compulsory idea, this, this uh, oppression, this fear of the Sabbath day. What if, what if I do this? What if I get this wrong? What if, what, what if, I, what if I step out of line here? Lord, we put ourselves back under the law. And Lord, I ask that you forgive us for that. Lord, that you've given us freedom, that our rest, as it says in Hebrews, that you, Lord, are our Sabbath. You are our, our rest. That there is still that Sabbath day rest to come, which ultimately, as Joshua led the, the Israelites, as it were, into the promised land, that our Sabbath day's rest is in Christ fulfilled and we will have been in that Sabbath rest for all eternity. Lord, help us to see, open our minds, open our hearts that we live in freedom under Christ, not under condemnation. Your word says that we are no longer under condemnation. And yet, Lord God, how we can condemn ourselves for doing something that we think is wrong because we have not looked deeply enough into these things. Father, I pray that you bless us all with a greater understanding and a greater desire to search the Scriptures to find the truth. Lord God, I ask that you be glorified in every life, in every heart, in every mind, in this room. Lord, we ask for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.